Sophie Ash, mogul scare, back from the Olympics in Beijing, back in the studio for take two of this. You're in the studio today. You're on Sunrise yesterday. It's all happening for you. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, I'm so happy. Um, I'm happy to be um, in a podcast. That's cool. Uh, and yeah, um, Sunrise was really cool yesterday. It was um, all very new to me. I uh, haven't really done much media. Uh, so I was a bit like, oh, but then it was fun in the end. So nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, um, I guess I was thinking, oh, oh, it's, um, kind of all over the place, but then I realized it's probably always like that with media. Uh, so I just have, I'm not used to that. So <laughs> all like, over the place. How so? <laughs> just like organize, like trying to coordinate with the television court and like get, you know, the earpiece is in, you know, you're listening to the people give you cues and there's, you know, kind of the broadcast over the top of that. So you're trying to hear them talking to you. And then there are people talking um, in the background. So you're trying to listen. It's like all very, there's a lot going on. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right. But Beijing, we'll talk about a bit about that now. Mm. We'll talk a bit about the end as well, because I yeah. want to talk some animation stuff in between. Yeah. But cool. overall, how was Beijing? Did you enjoy your time there? Yeah, it was really cool. Um, yeah, obviously, like you have a dream. Um when you're younger and you have like an expectation, I think, or like this crazy, like yeah, grandiose vision. And it definitely, it met all my expectations. Like everything I, you know, thought it would be was, you know, it was. Um, and that's really awesome. Cause I feel like people, a lot of people who were there who'd been to previous Olympics told me that, Oh, this is, um, you know, it's so different with COVID and like a few people in the media and friends and family were like, Oh, you know, how do you feel about it being in COVID? Uh, it's probably different to the normal Olympics, the normal Olympic experience. And I was like, Oh, I actually don't really mind. Like, I don't know what I'm missing. So it's like, fine. Um, so maybe that is something that kind of sucked, I suppose, but they did a really good job, um, to like, give everyone the best experience, like all the officials and all the people involved. Like, I think they did a really, really good job, honestly, with what they had. Yeah. Mm. So. Awesome. And don't say it now, but it's a particular <laughs> story that you're going to pass down to the future generations of Ash that we might yeah. talk about later in the show. <laughs> you got one planned? Oh, I mean, there is the obvious, oh, living in a pandemic, doing the Olympics in a pandemic, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it was very interesting in that sense. Uh, but I think maybe just... The other one, the obvious, like, gold medal win by Jakara Anthony, just, like, witnessing that mm. um, was, like, insane. Uh, and it was just, it felt so good because, like, we're all a team and um, we've all been working towards the same goal. And I think just, like, to have her win that and just see, like, you know, the emotion on her face and just, like, being overwhelmed with, like, this, like, sense of, like, you know, we did it. And, you know, Australia got a gold and she's been working so hard too, obviously, and she's you know, such a, such a, like a weapon with all her training and she's so precise and, um, just, yeah, really into it, really loves it and, um, really inspirational on a lot of, and she's obviously also very different to me. Mm. Um, her and I are like pretty opposite, I'd say, but I think that's, I find it inspiring in a lot of ways too, um, that she's so different. It's like, you can draw and take, you know, you can learn lessons from that kind of thing. But I think, yeah, the um, the gold medal for sure yeah. is a right. story. <laughs> talk a bit more about your personal experience of watching that whole thing mm. a bit later, I reckon. So I'll lock that in, talk yeah. about that close <laughs> to the end of the show. But yeah. you're ba you've been back for a few days. We're talking yeah. off air, back for three or four days, something yeah. like that. And lots of people, lots of Olympians who have just come back talk about having a bit of an Olympic hangover type thing. <laughs> like they've, they've gone to wherever the Olympics are, they've achieved their dream and now they're back down to earth and yeah. I think they're going to walk the streets and everyone's going to be fawning over them and everyone knows their name. But yeah. how, how have you felt with that 
well, Olympic hangover. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think it's really interesting. Like, you kind of are in this world, um, like this, I mean, bubble, yeah, COVID bubble. Everyone talks about the bubble. But then, obviously, there's also the bubble of, you know, you're in your team, you're doing this sport, and everyone in your team is like, this is everything, this is the whole world. The world you live in is obsessed with moguls, mogul skiing, obsessed with freestyle, obsessed with sport. And obviously, everyone has their own things, but everyone's so focused. Um, and so that's kind of all you really... You live and breathe it, you know? Um, and I think, like, when you get back, you kind of I see my friends I've seen my like friends and like uh chatted to people and like I talk to them and they're kind of like you know I'm not surprised but not everyone follows the Olympics not everyone cares about sport and that's like fine um not no one really knows who you are no one recognizes you no one knows your name and I mean I'm sure maybe if I yeah if I'd won a medal or something maybe yes I I don't even know if that's much different but I think it's it's really interesting like um you can just be so absorbed in your own world and your life and your one goal and then the goal's kind of done and you're like, okay, like, I like the change. Like, I like having a different perspective and coming home and having everything be completely different and not related because, like, that's – I love the, like, having one or the – like, I don't – I think I need to have balance in in my life personally um, and, like, have something completely different to go to um, apart from sport. Um, So I think it's actually okay. Um, Yeah, I think it'd be worse if maybe I'd, I maybe I didn't know what else I had to do in in life. And I think, um, luckily, like with my my other work, and you know, I'm going to be studying this year too um, further. uh, I think that's good that I have that. But if I didn't have anything, I'd be a bit like, oh no, uh, a bit lost. I think. (laughs) You much of a sports watcher? Yeah. I watch a lot of um, gymnastics and, like, diving aerial-related sports, I'd say. Um, I love watching those. Um, I do I – pr- I don't watch sport very much. I do appreciate it. And whenever I see it, I do think, you know, I, I think as an athlete myself, I understand the amount of work. Um, I don't necessarily love to watch it. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate it, for sure. Yeah. Super Bowl's on right now. Fair to say you're not <laughs> too into that kind of thing, the NFL. No, uh, I know a lot of people who are, <laughs> and they would be like, oh, like, no, but um, no, nah, I'm not, honestly. Yeah, not really. Well, not, yeah. My lo- Lockie is the other host, big time, but, yeah, not me at all. But, like, the gymnastics and the diving and all that, do you just watch that at the Olympics, or yeah. are you seeking out your live streams for all the yeah. big tournaments? I'm definitely seeking out the live streams, oh. but I think I'll definitely seek those out more. But I think with the Winter Olympics, I'll watch all of them because I also know all of them, all the people yeah, who are right. in there. And, like, maybe I don't know them, like, I haven't met them in a long time. or But I know it's they're all people to me. And I think uh, if you're watching something that you, you don't know the person, you can. it's kind of hard to relate sometimes because you, you don't see them as a person. They're just like an athlete doing a skill. Mm. But I think with the Winter Olympics, I'm, I'm particularly drawn to things where I know the people doing the work and I know yeah. their journey, their personal journey, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So The Winter Olympics, 43, I think, in the Australian team. Yeah. Uh, and we've had four medalists. It's Jacqueline Narricott. Who else have we had? We've had Scotty James. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Jakar Anthony. Yeah, yeah. And who's the fourth one? Uh, Tess Cody. Tess Cody. Yeah, Of course. Yeah. So, do you know all those guys? Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, well, Jack's obviously like um, Jakar Anthony's my teammate. Yeah. I've known her for a long time. Uh, and then Tess. Tess is a good friend as well. Um, she's just awesome. She's so chill. But yeah, she's friends with everyone. Um, every, and the other guys, like, I don't know as well, but they're just, we're all kind of like, um, you know, in the one team, and I think it's just like you've seen them train, at, you know, maybe at Jindabyne at one point, or you just you've seen them at some event because you all go to events together and stuff like that for winter sport. And so, it's like I guess like a big kind of community. Mm. 
Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about Jindaban? Yeah. Um, People probably haven't heard of that place. Yeah, well, it's actually, a, I think a horror movie is called Jindaban too. Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, but... Uh, Set there? Yeah, I think so. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's good. Like, it's it's a great... I mean, everyone's been going there for a long time. There's great facilities there. Um, and there's an Olympic uh, facility there. And recently, it's like been... I'm, not, I don't, I'm sorry, Jindaban um, people... Uh, Maybe who are listening, I don't know. But there is something I think has been built there too recently for like maybe uh, for, I don't know, I'm sorry. I don't know. But um, something's been built there recently. Right. Um, And that's really cool. But um, Jindabine is very, you know, remote, but you can do a lot of activities and uh, you can bike ride, you can run, you can go to the Jindabine Lake. Uh, There's a lot of good people there. Um, And it's obviously a country town, so people know everyone. Uh, and everyone's really into winter sport because everyone, a lot of people who do winter sport come from there too. Right. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Now the animation. You studied animation. You do a lot of the filmmaking and stuff like that. And does does your skiing give you a bit of a different perspective on your filmmaking and your animation and that kind of thing? Yeah. Um. I think I've always done both in my life. Like I've been skiing for a long time. Like since I was basically two year old. Um, and then art, I've always done some form of art um, throughout my life as well. And animation, I guess, I got into later in life. Like, when I was, like, 18, I started, like, thinking about studying it and then I started doing, like, work with it. Um, I think... I think... I'm not really sure which one comes first in my mind because I always, like I said, um, I like having two things in life. Well, not two things, but different things to rely on. Go, You know, you can go from one to the other. If you need a break from training and sport um, or just, like, that space, you can then move into the art realm and, like, create something, have an outlet, you know. Um, I feel like a lot of people would relate to that with, uh, you know, any creative thing, you know, having an outlet or just even another activity that's not related to another, like, two different things in their life that are completely different. Um, I think... I definitely use a lot of my sport experiences to fuel my art, like animation and art making, uh, just because I think there's a lot of stress uh, with sport um, that everyone experiences, but obviously, like, it's good to put it somewhere. Um, And I think it just, like... I think when I am in doing my training, I do like to think of, you know, how can I make this, turn this into something creative? And it's not like I'm actively trying to do that. It just happens. And I think that's why I like have this urge to make stuff that's relating to sport in general. I'm not sure if that really answers your question. No, no, It's kind of very broad to me. I don't know. But um, I think I do. It's really interesting. I do always find like with animation, um, if I want to create a film or I want to think of ideas for a film, I have to be kind of on the more angsty, like, turbulent side emotionally. It sounds right. like, like oh, the classic, you know, uh, tortured artist, oh, no, <laughs> like, whatever. But I do think it definitely, like, if you want to let your emotions run wild, if you want to, like, be creating stuff that's, like, true to yourself, I feel like I have to be in that space. But I think with sport, it's like this, the whole time you're, like, conditioning yourself to not be turbulent. You want to be consistent mentally and physically. You always want to have... Um, the best training possible so you don't want to be worrying about things or del- and delving into like these deep dark places all the time so it's exhausting but then to create art you want to be like that so I find they actually collide like with each other um, so I find I can't do art and like I can't really do animation and do sport at the same time especially in the training season like when we were doing competitions I, I just couldn't bring myself to make anything um, because I was just trying to stay 
zen. You know what I mean? It's yeah. hard to explain. No, but, I get you. And yeah. you've written on your website, I think, yeah. sofash.com, <laughs> people want to check it out, Yeah, um, about lots of your work being based on like the flow state you're yeah, in during yeah. your performance. So can you talk to me a bit about this this flow state yeah. mentality? Yeah, well, um, I know I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's like this feeling of, you know, you're doing something and you just can't stop, but you're not tired. You're like continuing through it. And you just, I think it's, I'm sure people can relate, um, but it's, I think it's, I'm, I actually don't know a lot about it. I know I read a lot about it previously, um, but I think you have to have a lot of experience uh, before you can like, I think it's it's kind of like the same as when you're running or exercising. And obviously when you start running, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. But the more you do it, the better you get. And then you're able to like reach new heights with it. It's kind of like the same with a flow state. So like mentally you're like, all right, I'm exhausted. I'm learning this new skill. Oh, like I'm tired. But the more you do, the better you get at it. And then you don't even have to think about it anymore. And then you're just kind of doing it. Um, and that's like, I guess in my sport, I always strive for that feeling, um, because everything just comes naturally. Everything feels good. Everything's like, it's just like unbelievable. Like it's, I feel like it's kind of like a, a high, you know, it's addictive. Um, and you always want that. Yeah. yeah. And you were speaking before as well about, um, lots of the work being based on like, the emotional experiences yeah. that you've had, the ups and downs yeah. throughout your career and maybe like the fear and the stress and yeah, yeah. all that kind of thing. Can you talk to me a bit about that as well? Yeah. The, the emotional experiences that you've had throughout your yeah. career? Sure. Um, well, I know I always found it really hard to focus on training, I think. And I think I might have lost a bit of time with that, especially when I was younger. Um, I never really wanted to fully commit to it, I'd say. Like, I, I love skiing, uh, but I think I used to not enjoy being in a regimented environment because naturally as an athlete you have to travel a lot and there's a schedule and you have to do yeah obviously with the um sport that I do mogul skiing it's a skill-based sport and um it's very technical so you have to do a lot of numbers on the skills you're training uh and I just know like we do this thing um throughout the year we have a few training camps we do um where we do like maybe a camp on snow where you're you go up to a hill and you train ski runs or there's water ramping, which is where you, I'm sure um, if anyone who knows much about air, it's aerials also do water ramping too and moguls as well. Um, but um, you, know, you go off a ramp and you do lots of jumps and you just like get the jumps right. And then you go on. Into snow a pool. And, yeah. Yeah. Into yeah. the pool. Yeah. And um, there's one up at Queensland um, that's just been built, which is really cool. But I know you have to be doing the same thing over and over again. I always had a lot of trouble with that. I always had trouble focusing on the one thing um, I always wanted to go other places. I always wanted to explore things more on the abstract mental side and not the physical side. And I think over time I got better at that, but I think that was a huge hurdle for me. And I had a lot of problems um, with people who were coaching me. And also I think just like my peers, like they, um, I think it was just really hard for them to kind of understand that point of view of mine. And also as a kid, you know, obviously you don't, I think obviously it's just not, Everyone believes that one person should be an athlete. I think that one personality is favoured. People who like repetition, who like structure, who are, you know, cutthroat, disciplined um, about their training. And I think a lot of people um, also succeed and don't have that personality. Um, And I think I always thought that maybe, like I wrote this, I think I didn't write this, but I, I, I'm in one of the news articles I did like for, um, uh, the Victorian College of the Arts. I did uh, like an interview with them 
uh, a while ago, and I mentioned this too, but um, I just, um, one size doesn't fit all. And I think for a long time I struggled with that, and that's what I think created a lot of turbulence. Mm. Uh, but I've accepted that now. And I think even um, the aerial skier, um, Laura Peel, she's um, really, really, a really, she's like world champion. Um, and she talks about, you know, how she's a kind of quiet soul. Um, and I find that to be really inspirational. And I think a lot of pe- uh, meeting more athletes and exposing myself to more media where athletes aren't just one type of person, I think help that turbulence a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I'm accepting it now that I'm a lot older. I've like have my own way of doing things. Right. So yeah. does that mean that because the, the creative world and the sporting world to from an outside perspective it seems like chalk and cheese yeah you've got <laughs> yeah. like the regimented yeah. sporting world everything yeah. you've got to get this 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 right repetition but the creative it's obviously do your own thing yeah all that that's how you get the best ideas so yeah. did you find yourself trying to just completely flip who you were like and your personality at the yeah. start um <laughs> because you're in these two different worlds yeah for sure i think i always valued uh that kind of create like creative approach where you like oh just see what happens let things happen naturally um yeah sit around not sit around and do nothing but you know think think about things in a conceptual way obviously that doesn't help with sport you have to be hitting your marks when you're in a training session you have to say okay i'm going to do this 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 and this i have to do this very specific thing tick a box and i think it became easier over time, but it definitely didn't work together um, initially. Okay. Yeah. And h- how did you make it work together? I think I, I had a few, like I had a coach. I remember in 20, oh, I don't even remember when it was. It was a few years ago. I was kicked off the national team. Um, they did like a, there was, um, it was like pre, uh, sorry, post-Olympics, post-Pyeongchang. I know they um removed quite a lot of us off the team and I was off um I was with another coach and we were working to get me back on the team and I got back on the team obviously and I'm fine now um but I remember like during that period there was a lot of um I learned a lot about how to I think include that creativity into my training and have that creative approach because I think uh I think with yeah with art you want to see possibilities you want to like explore possibilities um but conceptual possibilities not like physical ones if that makes sense it's kind of ra- like I don't know if this makes sense at all um but I think like with um that year I discovered um how to do that um seeing the mogul course is not like something that needs to be kind of ticked off I saw it as kind of like a a playground for opportunities like oh yeah like when I'm doing this flip I can do this thing with my arm or I can leave it up and like that was like how I got my like creative burst I like tried to like manipulate the course and like think about it in different ways and that gave me fresh perspectives on how to ski it better and do better and be more aggressive and like have fun as well if that makes sense yeah yeah totally. and yeah. just going back to what you were saying at the start there being kicked off the team just after Pyeongchang so that's maybe three years ago yeah, something like that yeah. and now you've just back from the Olympics. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That, how did you deal with being kicked off the team? And what was that whole experience like? Because yeah. what were you then, 21, 22, yeah. something like that? Yeah, I actually can't even remember how long it was because the whole thing blurs into one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I, I just know I, it was, I wasn't really doing very well that year. Like I've, I think a lot of people struggle with mental health, you know, obviously, like athletes, you know, it's like, 
Um, and there's stuff around that, I suppose, but I was struggling, like, I think in general, um, with a lot of, cause I didn't, I tried to go to Pyeongchang. Um, I tried to qualify for the Olympics. I, did, I actually missed out. Um, and I was kind of a bit existential about it. I was like, I'm not really sure if I was questioning whether or not I wanted to do it. And I think from that, I kind of wasted a lot of energy and so I didn't do very well, um, in the competitions and I think I was just my overall attitude wasn't very good um and so then when I got off the team I kind of had to like re-evaluate everything and I had to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to keep going or not and I think I had that drive because I was off the team and I was like completely on my own and that actually gave me I actually was like completely um uh, it's hard to explain. I think I, I felt like I had more freedom and I actually felt better and it was complete autonomy. It was my decision. It wasn't anyone else's decision for me to continue or not. I did it completely for myself and that's like what I think worked the best to motivate me to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of people struggle with that and I think everyone's different with their, the reasons why they keep going. Um, but I know I just did it cause I wanted to, <laughs> like prove whoever I could wrong really and just do it in spite of other people which sounds really <laughs> cynical but I was like no like I can I'm good enough I can be on the team you yeah. know I know I'm right you know and that was I guess one of the reasons too yeah so the coach that's led you to this Olympics what, what's his name oh well um, I have two coaches actually okay. three sort of there's uh, uh Peter McNeil who I've known for a long time Kate Blamey I've known for a long time as well they're both like my main coaches. And then I also have um, Peter Tabalovic, who I've worked a little bit with as well. Well, quite a lot, but we've kind of been like on and off with like, what, but he's always around. Um, he's like, uh, he used to be a coach and then he kind of didn't do coaching for a long time. And then he kind of was at the Olympics and came overseas this year and coached a lot as well. Um, so I've had all those guys. Um, mm. And then my other coach who I had when I was off the team, Josh Himbury, um, he um, was there with me. Uh, and I had a, a few, a lot of other people. There in Beijing? Uh, he wasn't in Beijing, but okay. I had him. Uh, he was my coach. After the other coach, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. Peter, Peter and Kate yep. that have led you to this Olympics. And Josh, the other guy? Uh, sorry, um, um, you could call him Topper. He's to- the other topper. guy. Okay. Yeah, Topper, yeah. <laughs> was, yeah, it's just his nickname. So, why, what, what have they got right? Why are you at the Olympics now? And what, what makes them good coaches, which I assume they are because you went to the Olympics? Yeah, um, well, I think they're people who they have a lot of experience with coaching. Um, they've done a lot of work, like they had a program going um, before they were um, coaches with the you know sports association I'm with. Um, they set up a program which is like a, a part, like a, it's called Osmose Australian Mogul Skiing Academy. That was set up by them and they kind of, that was like a stepping stone for a lot of the, you know, um, younger mogul skiers coming through um, before N-Swiss or OWI, which is um, what I'm in N-Swiss and OWI is like Olympic Winter Institute. And then I'm in the New South Wales Institute of Sports. So we're all in institutes, basically, at the all of us Olympians yep. in institutes. Uh, but yeah, the... Um, Australian Mogul Skiing Academy, they created and they had experience with that. And that was really like a fresh thing for mogul skiing and the mogul skiing pathway to get to the Olympics, basically from when you begun to when you gather. Um, and so I guess they have that and they've always, um, had that kind of innovative angle with the sport and they always want to improve the sport, I think. Uh, so how, I think, how so? How have they been improving it and innovating? Yeah. Well, I think they're just, um, 
we've had we had coaches before that who have been there for a while um, at the top and they're great coaches too, but I think they were just fresh faces. Um, well, not fresh faces, but they had, they both kind of came from, I know Pete uh, did accounting, which is very random, but he kind of had that. And then he has this thing with like, he's very precise and it's very like technically is very, he's hones in on things and like tries to think of a technical way that to solve the problem very precise and then I know with um Kate like she obviously has a lot of other stuff she's done too but she has always been very passionate about mogul skiing and also has a similar view with precision and just like that kind of uh attention to detail Mm. yeah so they both have that yeah have you let your creative or have they and you let your creative side come out more in the lead up to these olympics or not so much um it's I think it's hard to say with them. I think sometimes we have, we butt heads a bit with that kind of thing. I know they've always supported my creativity, but I think it can be a bit, obviously, the characteristics of an, you know, angsty teenager, which I was, um, especially when I was like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Uh, That can obviously be a bit troublesome. Uh, And so I think they were, they're kind of like my, they're kind of like parents in a way, like with that, like they're kind of like, you know, put me back in the right path. Um, and I think um, they always had that discipline, which did actually, which got me to the Olympics. And I think they taught me how to be more, yeah, detail oriented for sure. Yeah. Um, and like, I would have had to have learned that. I learned that the hard way for sure. Um yeah, but I think I do have a lot to... I owe them a lot, I think, just with the person I've become. Um, and, yeah, I'm glad that they were there to teach me some skills that I wasn't really very good at and were hard to learn, but I learned them anyway. So, yeah. ideal world, do you think you could let more of your creative side out when uh, you're training and skiing, or do you think the level you're at at the moment is okay? I think... I think the level at the moment I'm at is okay. I've actually kind of been at peace with, I think I've reached a happy balance between that kind of like searching for meaning, you know, ideas, creativity type thing with art and like, and then also the precise kind of um, repetitive training um, of my sports. I've like found that type of thing. Because I know now with a lot of my work, um, I'm able to like, incorporate some of the skills I learned from my training and also make work on time and like instead of just being like oh I'm going to make this film and take forever I, I'm working on something now and it is taking forever so I'm like a hypocrite but um, but I think it's definitely um yeah happy medium a balance for sure okay yeah. cool that's yeah. good we took a big detail there off piece you could say <laughs> off the animation I want to talk a bit more about the animation though so sure yeah. when you first got into it when you were 18 like yeah. you were saying before what why did you get into it? What appealed to you about filmmaking and animation? Uh, I think I was really... Well, I did a lot of fine art stuff uh, when I was younger. Yeah, I went to yeah the Victorian College of the Arts secondary school. That's a mouthful. I did, went to that school. That was... Um, I did a fine art... Um, I specialised in fine art at that school. Okay. Uh, and I know it was really cool, actually, because like when when I was near 11 uh, in 2013, they, that was like... Normally that school specialises in, uh, you know, dance and music and they... And, uh, and other... Th- it's, there's other stuff going on too. Sorry if I didn't mention it. I can't remember. But um, they that was the first 
um, the first cohort of um, visual arts students they ever took in. So I was one of the wow. first. So I was like so happy to do that. And um, anyway, I've always thought I was going to be maybe a curator or some type of uh, some type of art related person, uh, like doing art, making art. Um, I don't know, curating art maybe some type of art historian, I don't know. But then I ended up getting more into film and television and then I just ended up doing animation um, and I heard about it at the VCA. Um, so I just did it then, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. So, so. <laughs> when, you, when you're watching uh, an animations, short films or yeah. feature films, is it Pixar stuff you're watching or the more kind of indie indie yeah. scene? Probably the indie scene. And also I really like adult animation, like not like... Um, Oh, like sausage like party. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more like uh, animation that explores adult themes, but themes of you know grief, loss, um, things that like yeah, M rated, like uh, you know, um, yeah, happiness though, happiness, but also like the struggle of you know being a person, adult in the world, and mm. you know finding your way. But I'm I'm open to anything really. <laughs> like that's yeah. But I do like adult animation a lot more. I'd Is say. there a particular adult animation film that you'd recommend we check out? Yeah, um, there's this really, really good film. It's called Grave of Fireflies. Oh, and it's about, yes. Have you ever heard of it? The Japanese one about the war. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, oh. that is like, I mean, obviously that's an anime, right? And yeah. so it's for kids. But it's actually like, oh. it's sad. Yeah. It's, it's adult. Like, war is the saddest thing. Yeah. And a child shouldn't have to deal with that. And, but even for adults, it's tough. It's like, that's the mm. kind of thing I'm talking about, you know. Um, and also, really, um, there's a lot of films I really like. There's this other one that's called um, Millennium Actress. And also, this other film called Paprika. But they're all by the same person. I'm so, I think it's Satoshi Kon, is the. I want to say director, but I know Paprika is inspired by, um, sorry, Inception is inspired by Paprika. So that's like that kind of thing. It's like all like, you know, a dream state and, you know, uh, virtual reality or augmented reality, you know, what's real, what's not, you know, um, themes like that. Uh, but they're all anime. They're all Japanese. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. That Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> yeah. People haven't checked that out. They have. Oh, it's yeah. So good. Yeah. If you really, if you're really interested in history, um, you want something a bit different. You also want to. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. yeah I'm guessing you've seen it. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's awesome. So good. Yeah. But <laughs> process of animation. So yeah. when when you're starting at animation school, well, what are they first teaching you? What are the what are the basics? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you learn about the like production uh like the different production phases so you have like pre-production production post-production yep. um you learn about you know how to storyboard a film out so i'm not sure if you know what storyboarding is but yep. where you have you know you draw um draw out the film and then you add the you know the timing so you have the scenes and how long the scenes go for and stuff like that um and then you also have you um learn about um character design you know what the characters look like when you in within your film uh just things like that like anything you can imagine it's like a normal film as well like any movie you see um has that too like storyboarding and character and like things like that um, yeah, you learn about that kind of thing. And then you also learn about how to actually animate and do like the technical side of animation. So how to make something look the best it can look, the most realistic it can look, because that's mm. the goal is to make something look real. Or And then you also can learn from that, you learn about the basics and then you can go on and do your own like stylized work, which is where you just make it look the way you want it and not realistic 
if you want, you know. Uh, and then post-production where you, like, edit and you, you know, get you learn to collaborate with other people. Uh, you learn about musicians and other, maybe, uh, like, voice actors who act in your film. Uh, you learn about all the legal stuff, like, you know, uh, how to not get sued <laughs> if you use images from Google or, like, how to, you know, things like that. Or, like, you can only use, like, 10 seconds of, you know, footage from xyz or things like that or like signing agreements to things and like cop rights and like copyright and stuff like that yeah um and you that's kind of the basis and then you also just learn like how to think in a creative way and like how to change your i guess the way of thinking to think of you know this random plant in the studio here right now could be a house for this thing here and that's the story and you know like this guitar like i want to play a song and i'm going to make an animation to that and let's make a film and then yeah, have all that going. So yeah, cool. yeah it's just stuff like that, you know. Like, and are you are you typically hand drawing this or using a computer program or um, a bit of both? Yeah, a lot of people do do it on the computer. I think, but there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can do like there's a bunch of different uh, resources at. Um, the Victorian College of the Arts where I was um, and people hand draw people like do like st- uh, stop motion yeah. which is like you know Wallace and Gromit yeah, like yeah, clay um, yeah, claymation like um, yeah 2D which is what I do which is where you right. just draw on the computer or you can draw on paper right. 3D where it's like computer generated like avatar yeah. that kind of thing so you're doing 2D on the computer yeah that's, that's right yeah, okay. yeah. yeah cool and start gate yeah, <laughs> this, this it's won all these international awards. Absolutely awesome. Um, it's only two minutes longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How long did it take to put that together, start to finish? Oh, it took me a whole year to a make year. that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, and how did, much time yeah. are you spending on it? Like oh, every man. every day or every week? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Um, well, I know in pre-production, it. Took, I, I know the first half of the year was all pre-production, so you'd all the storyboarding, get all the specific elements of the film to be right, um, get all the, you know, you book all the stuff in, so you get, a, yeah, you, you're composer, you lock that in early, so you can, like, then have that work with the production itself, um, just things like that. So that took the first half of the year. And then I was also training at the same time. I was, like, flat out. But, like, I know in the second half of the year, I so I guess six months it took me to actually do all the yeah. practical work. Um, yeah. And then I just made a schedule. You normally make, it like, a production schedule and that, like, you follow that. So you probably would animate. Um, but, it, you know, maybe an hour's worth of work. You don't, you'd only do, I don't know, 10, 10 like, one second or less. So... It's, you know, you're doing, like, 24 frames per second is what uh, animation is in Australia. Yeah. So, if you... What is that? Maths. Quick maths. I don't know. 24. That's 24 drawings for one second. So, yeah. you have to do the same drawing over and over again. So and you have, like, a slowly... This slow movement. And that's... But normally, you have a whole team to do all that stuff. And you have different people doing different things. But, obviously, because it's a student production, mm-hmm. you only have one person doing it. And you have to... You don't have to pay people. Yeah. Um, necessarily. I know some people do. Yeah. But, um, is it stressful? Yeah, it is. Just because, you know, you, it's so time-consuming. Yeah. It's a lot of time. I do like it, though. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very time-consuming. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Startgate. Can you, can you tell us a bit about it? It's skiing yeah, related. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, it's based on uh, my experiences at the Freestyle World Championships in Utah in 2019. Um, and that year, I kind of wasn't that was the year I wasn't really sure what I was doing it was like after the Olympics um and I think that event really like I opened my eye uh, sorry what am I saying I I kind of like realized I wanted to keep going um then and I know uh 
so I made a film about it basically because I think there was a lot of stress and it was quite like the world champs is quite a well freestyle world championships is quite a prestigious event it's like below the olympics i'd say but all the same people go to that event mm. um and only a certain amount of people qualify so it's very similar um but it's Massive obviously yeah, yeah yeah but it's obviously not as um well known yeah. um but yeah i made a film about that because i was quite nervous but i ended up doing really well there i made the final uh and yeah i just had to process it and that the year after i got back i um made a film straight away about the experience um, and it was just basically the point where you're, um, you're waiting to do the competition. It's like the lead up into the, you know, before the point where you push out of the gate and do the run, but you don't see the run. It's just the point, you know, waiting at the top in the Stargate. Mm. So that was the film. Yeah. So are you, this is all kinds of festivals and stuff. Yeah. Are you going to post updates on your Instagram that people are going to check out or anything yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, I have an Instagram. It's Say Soph. It's actually French. It's meant to be This Is Soph. But it's, I don't know. I think it was no one else was called that. So I called myself. <laughs> um, but it's just at Say Soph. So um, at C E S T S O P H. That's my like art Instagram. Okay. Um, and that's where I do all my like updates for like films I make and like other freelance work just to credit people. Yeah. Um, you know, because I know I've also done like some fine art work. Like I did an animation for this um, uh, um, artist who you know draws upon draws upon a lot of like Aboriginal um, stuff from his ancestry. Mm. And I did an animation for that in. Uh, uh, gallery um, in Melbourne, so I put that in there. But I also have, um, yeah, like my film festivals that I get into for Starkey, and I also have like obviously producers, um, and I have a composer, Sophia Carlo, um, who did my music for me, who I credit all the time too. She did a lot of work on that. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's my Instagram if you want to check it out. So, so. people like commission you or yeah. anything like that? As yeah, because well, you're a freelancer. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, like I always do commissions. Um, I've Done a, I, I know, like, I d- was going to do some work previously, but the thing is with sport, I haven't really had time. And I've had to kind of, like, turn down a lot of projects, which has been quite sad, um, and I've really wanted to work on them. But now I have more time because I'm obviously back. So if you want to hit me up <laughs> for some art... <laughs> Say so. Yeah. Yep. Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. And I've seen on your, your main Instagram, I guess, yeah. the, the skiing one, <laughs> yeah. you um, did a post about the cool down, like a climate yeah. action... Yeah. Um, uh, what is it, a charity? Or? Yeah, it's like a, um, basically, it's this initiative to reduce carbon emissions, but it's through, like, athlete voices. I think it's meant to, uh, the point of view is that it's more relatable, um, especially, like, because I know like, it's just trying to reach a different audience, I think, or people who follow sports. I know, like, it's just, like, yeah, an angle for climate change, basically. And I know, like, obviously, with a lot of our... Um, training like snow sports training like a lot of it's going to be affected by global warming and that's really horrible to imagine um and so that makes me just like uh, that's like why i'm a part of it really um it's just because like snow will obviously melt and won't be able to do it again and it will be like a a thing that of the past that will never be done again i think or not the same way yeah so yeah it's so you're not a big fan of our old scomos dealing with the whole thing (laughs) fair to say yeah uh, yeah yeah for sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you've got, like, with this whole thing, you've probably got fairly progressive political views, right? So you, when you go into Beijing, obviously there's been a fair bit of controversy. You don't have to speak about this, but there's been a controversy about it being held there and the treatment of Uyghur Muslims and all kinds of things. Yes. How do you feel about going there? Well, I think all that stuff is really 
is really horrible, um, for sure. Uh, and it's, it is a very interesting topic. Uh, I think it's pretty black and white with, um, you know, what's right and what's wrong for me personally anyway. But I think the Olympics, the kind of the whole point of the Olympics is to bring people together and you kind of, you meant to like work towards a, um, a, like a shared goal. Um, and you meant to put aside all that kind of political stuff, uh, while you're doing that goal. So I guess in saying that, um, it's very single-minded for sure. Um, and it's very, yeah, I, I dare say self-absorbed, <laughs> but I think, um, I think, yeah, the point was to bring people together and, like, it was really good to... I mean, there are people there um, who uh, have uh, come from all religious backgrounds and all walks of life, too, um, at the Games, um, and I think you still compete against them. You still share, you know, a meal with them in the dining hall, even though there's, like, COVID stuff everywhere and you can't actually talk to people, but you can... St it's still the principle of, like, you know, everyone's having the same experience, and I'm sure there are... Um, lots of people who I've come across who have opposite views to me um, about certain humanitarian issues um, and so on, things like that. Um, and I think it's just something you have to put aside um, for this particular event. But I definitely um, have that, uh, you know, my views around that are, um, I share those with those other people that you mention for sure. Right. Yeah, but that's a tough one for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's. I think for the Olympics, you just gotta you gotta push it aside for a week, and then <laughs> um, you have to um, do what you can at the right time. Yeah, you know? Matt, totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and that was thanks for answering that. Yeah, it's, it's that's right. <laughs> tricky issue to cover. Yeah, but sure. um, look again, you don't have to answer this one. But <laughs> uh, with your fairly like pr uh, progressive mm. political views, uh, do you reckon there's any? views that you don't share with like your typical progressive person i mean i think i think i do have one thing to say not particularly radical or progressive but i do think i do realize winter sport is filled with wealthy people and you do have a lot of money to do the sport. Um, you need a lot of money. You need a lot of um, support from, you know, people around you to be able to do it. Um, and I think it's all um, well and good to be a winter sport athlete, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons why I've been able to do it. Um, and I think for someone who is, you know, can't afford it or comes from a, you know, a background where they're not able to, do do it like I think that's really tough and I just feel sometimes I just think to myself like wow like I'm I'm so lucky like that I'm able to do this sport and I'm able to do a specific winter sport like who's to say I would have gone to the Olympics or even done enjoyed something else to the same level like I've always done this throughout my life skiing um and I realized yeah it's kind of the classic you know oh like après ski you know wealthy people going to Vail in Colorado and or Aspen and going for ski and wearing you know tight trousers and kind of <laughs> you know that kind of stereotype um and then there's obviously a lot of people who grew up in the mountains who um always had that like exposure and they're also in a different boat altogether but anyway I guess I just the point I want to make is um I just I think 
I'm so lucky and I, I do realise how lucky I am and I think that's why uh, I want to succeed to make the most of my opportunities. Because um, obviously I'm talking about all my all my art and all this angst and all this stuff like that and deciding what, you know, which one I want to do. And, you know, like it was, you know, a choice. I had a choice, but some people don't have a choice. They have to do – some people in overseas have to um, do a sport to – to live a better life they you know their country they're from isn't very good and they um they go on the road and they compete for their country so they can have a better life as well um and I think there's just so many levels to sport it's not only just one person going for gold um and they've had everything given to them or the other way around I think I think I don't know if people really realize that about sport but it's you know it's more about um there's more to it um than most think I think yeah Interesting. Yeah. Now, almost, almost every athlete thinks their sport deserves more funding, and um, obviously for winter sports being small sports, that's um, probably winter athletes think that even more. But if you were the, well, the head of the government, the prime minister, would you be putting more money into winter sports to make it more accessible, or do you think it's um, that money's better used somewhere else? Hmm. I think obviously I love winter sport and like I want people to be able or or I want my friends, people who I know to have better opportunities because I know just there are so many people who do sport who are in a different, you know, discipline who weren't able because I know with the Olympics like we had uh, four, four spots for men and women, so sorry, eight altogether um, and that's because you know, that was how it is, but we get a lot of funding. We, we've always done quite well in moguls and freestyle in general. Um, but I know there are other people who haven't had opportunities because they're, you know, they, their teammates or people they know or people before them haven't done as well um, from like a um, performance perspective. So they haven't had the funding, um, but they're missing out and they're really great, talented people. Uh, but at the same time, it's really hard to say because I'm. I don't consider myself to be very political in general. I like to be like Switzerland, you know. But I think, <laughs> yeah. But I think um, it's hard to really. It's really hard to say because I really don't know much about any of that stuff. And I feel like if I were to say something else, it could easily be contradicted or, mm. um, yeah. I, I'm. It's it's hard one. I think hard yeah. to say. I just know what I know and and what is around me. I think. Yeah, because it's it's such a political thing. It's hard to know all the intricacies of it because there's so many um, kind of consequences of wherever you put the money. Yeah, of course. From from everything I've seen, almost every Winter Olympian and, well, Olympians in general, really, they all seem super super well-spoken, super articulate, super nice and not (laughs) – maybe it's because they've got more of a balance with – uh, like their work or their outside life because mm. it's not as professional. Yeah. I'm not, Do, oh. Is the balance that you get with your life being in a, like a so-called small sport, is it something that you like? Yeah, I think it is. I think, I think the interesting thing about winter sport is because you go away so much because obviously you're going to winter and Australia is like a pretty hot place. You're not around like say you're a runner you know you're always on the track and I think and and you don't really ever well obviously travel and you go to competitions and training overseas or wherever another state but you can do it um outside of your house you know um and I think maybe yeah there's like a it's a blurring of life and 
a sport, but perhaps with winter sport, I think there's more of a separation between like a seemingly different life when you get home and you're not training and you've been away from a camp for, you know, months. And then there's the camp itself, which, you know, you're not really able to do a whole lot um, apart from train. So there's a separation. So maybe that's why there's like a, a cultivation of, I don't know, hobbies outside of winter sports athletes' lives. I'm not sure. That's maybe my guess, but mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, that's, that's a nice, like, compliment, but <laughs> no, no, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Everyone, everyone's really nice. <laughs> yeah. And it does seem like very, very tight-knit. Like you were saying yeah. before, you know all the people who've won the medals in the other mm. sports and it seems like a great little community there. But yeah, yeah. Obviously, your sport or your event is mobile skiing. Can you tell us about what mobile skiing is for the people who didn't get to watch it at the yeah, Winter Olympics in sure. Beijing? Um, it's basically like one run, uh, kill me if my (laughs) numbers are wrong, but basically you have this run, you have a, it's all moguls. So they're all like neatly spaced. It's not like kind of crazy. Moguls are like mounds of snow. So like, imagine you have like camel humps. It's kind of like that, but they're all like spaced out. So you can ski in between them. Uh, And then in the course, there's normally two jumps. So you normally have a, a top section, which is got like you know the moguls yeah and then you have the jump and then you have the landing and then you have more moguls which is then the middle section and then you have the bottom air jump which is the second jump of the run and then you have the bottom section so it's like three parts um and in judging um they judge you on your um your airs your turns and your speed um turns is the biggest percentage of the score um so normally um, when you train, you, um, you normally do like a whole run and that's called like a top to bottom run, or you do when you do like a half run. So you do, you know, um, top half of the run and then the bottom half of the run. Um, but mainly like you mainly train for aerials and you train for turns. So there's a lot of training where you are doing jumps to like improve your airs and stuff like that. And you go on the water amp, which I mentioned earlier up at Queensland. And that's where you go off this like plastic jump and you land in water. So, you know, if you want to do a backflip for the first time, you're not going to hurt yourself. You do it on water first and then you move on to the snow jump. And then there's the the turns, which is like the technical um, mogul part. Uh, And that's like all about, you know, absorption because obviously Obviously, you want to absorb. The idea is you want to get through the moguls as fast as possible, as clean as possible, and as consistently throughout the whole run. So, if you, and also like, bear in mind you're trying to go off a top air and bottom air jump, which are the two jumps in the course, and you have to land, and then you have to keep skiing, and you have to look like you haven't stopped, and that's the hardest part of the sport, I think. So, like. Um, yeah, it's called like the ski out and that's where you, you know, you're doing a jump and you land and you have to just go straight into the moguls straight away. Like you can't really turn. Um, otherwise you don't get scored very well, but I'm like going, maybe getting a bit too like niche there with it. But yeah, it's, no, that's kind of like the, the, like the whole point. Yes. Yeah, to look neat, to look clean, to look fast and to look like you, maybe you're like water going down a stream, like all one, thing and you don't want to like yeah make any weird things like stop like stop before you you know do this or do a weird turn because you need to slow down because you don't want to slow down you want to go fast so it's kind of like that's it's just very precise um and Mm. very 
Yeah, very precise for sure. <laughs> Technical. <laughs> yeah. So with the different courses at Beijing and the World Champs and all the different ones that you do, are there a different amount of moguls and like different lengths of courses and the slope and the jumps? Is it all different? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, um, yeah. The, the length of the course, I want to say, is it's quite long. Like it's over 100 metres long. Um, normally... In the Olympics? Or yeah. What? I have to look at... Maybe I'll look at... Wait, I might get... Oh, I'll, ch- I'll check that for know. you. The you, dimensions you are like... I want to say 280 is like the longest course, but I'm actually not really sure. But normally uh, the courses are like... all there, There's like a spec that you have to follow. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, maybe I was, sorry, I won't mention that. I'll just like... No, that's all good. Keep going. I'm, I'm checking how long yeah, the Winter okay. Olympics are on last. Yeah, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, you keep going. Um, yeah, uh, all right. Well, basically, um, they're all they're all meant to be um, fist spec, which is like the... Um, that's fist is like the, you know, the body, the organisation that runs all the events and stuff like that. Um, but that's like... Um, they all have to be within uh, um, a certain measurement, like the jump size, the mogul... Um, like how many moguls there are, like the dis- actually you can have as many moguls as you want, but it has yeah. to be a certain length. Okay, and the slope, uh, the sleepiness of oh, the slope is this, it the same? Uh, yeah, or? yeah. It, um, okay. No, there's some really steep ones, there's some really flat ones, um, and that's what makes like each course really interesting. Is you have to like try and figure out, um, you know, how to get through it. Like I know, like when we normally do a normal World Cup competition, that's like the normal comp we do um, before the Olympics. Um, that we normally only get two days to train and then we just have to do the competition and the two days to like figure out all the different elements of the course basically. Um, but at the Olympics, we got like four or five days, um, depending on like if you wanted to train every day or not. But is that more or less yeah, than usual? That's way more, it's like okay. double. Yeah, well, right. like it's normally you don't get them in that much time, and then you also don't normally, um, in the Olympics, uh, they gave you a lot of runs, um, sorry, a lot of um, qualification runs, like they give you, um, Normally you only have one qualification, one final, and one super final. And in the Olympics, they had like two qualification runs, and then I think it was three finals or three. Yeah, it's like a lot. Like not, and and you're like, oh, you don't know, but like it's um weird because it's not normal. Like normally we don't have that many runs um going on. So yeah, it's yeah, that makes sense. I, I couldn't find yeah. the exact length yeah, of the mobile hard. course in Beijing, <laughs> but yeah. I'll, I'm guessing it's probably not too dissimilar to usual. But did the course in Beijing suit your style? Um, Yeah, it did for sure. I think the moguls were quite far apart, um, I thought, for me anyway. Um, Some people say no, but um, uh, luckily when we were in in Finland um, before the Olympics um, on a training camp and they tried to... um, make the course there similar to the Olympic one so we could, like, practice this, like, the certain spacing. Um, yeah, the course was, like, good. Um, the snow was good, and I think I really liked... Because there's normally a part where the mogul... There's the last mogul, and then there's the jump, and the lead into the jump. It was quite a big space, I thought, so that worked really well for me. I liked that quite a lot. Um, but it was a pretty good course, like, pretty well-built course, obviously, because it's an Olympic course, because sometimes the building can be kind of weird because it's not... Um, it's obviously like the place isn't, hasn't got the best people building the course. So they do have good people, but they're just not as, they're not like trying to make the best course ever because it's not like the most prestigious competition ever kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to the final in Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you get to the final? What, what makes you set apart from the people who didn't get to the final? (laughs) Um, it was definitely 
for me, I think it was the turns. My turns were very clean. Uh, and also I think just the overall, like the overall approach to the run, uh, it wasn't like from an aerial perspective, like the jumps, like the jumps I did weren't very advanced. A lot of people were doing backflips and back truck drivers, which is the one where you, you know you grab both your skis midair. Back um, truck driver. Yeah, so it's kind of like a if you're doing like a pike jump, it's like that, but you're grabbing them like you're, yeah, like kind of like a truck drive. Like it's hard to explain. Yeah. Um, like a downward dog, but you're it on with skis on and you're in the air and you're grabbing your skis kind of thing yeah okay. um yeah it's like that it's probably the best way i can describe it but um yeah they weren't very advanced but um the s- turns were good um it was a little bit of a slow run like the skiing was slow um so that probably is that's why i didn't make the next final and also the jumps probably um i needed probably higher dd like difficulty basically to probably continue on to just like overall neatness but um it was pretty neat it was pretty um it was pretty they were pretty good runs for me I thought I was really happy with how I did in those runs considering just the situation and how crazy it was you know yeah final yeah. is an amazing gem even yeah. getting to the Olympics incredible <laughs> considering <laughs> what happened like in the mm. whole lead up to it but yeah yeah mm. all, all the flips and stuff the, the sport with that's just freestyle skiing the umbrella term yeah right? yep yep so your sister Gabby yep. does aerial skiing yeah which yep. is a subcategory of yep. freestyle skiing as well yep. so if I put you in a position to do aerial skiing. Would you know what you're doing at all, or are you just completely fish out of water? Actually, some like some of us, like some of my teammates, like I know there's uh, at the water amp we train at. Uh, there's all of the jumps. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> there's all of the jumps, um, all the aerial jumps. Like you can literally be like, oh, I want to go off the you know aerial jump if I want because it's right there. So you, you, some of them were going off singles, which is like in aerials, you have a single, a double and a triple. Um, and the single is like, they're all progression jumps. The single's the first one you go off and then you go to the double and then you go to the triple. So I know a lot of us, for us mogul skiers, um, a lot of us went off the single at some point in our career or training. So that's kind of like the stepping stone for the doubles. So like, I think a lot of us probably could go off the double. I think people have gone off the double. Um, and technically it's pretty similar. Like I know with mogul skiing, um, the aerial, um, component of like twisting, like I know, like, I'm not sure if you know much about it, but I know like with, uh, specific like on axis twisting skills where you're like doing a backflip and then you're twisting, um, you're not doing some sideways thing. Um, I know there's all these things, it's called like planes. So like you imagine like, you know, if you drop one arm, you're going to twist a certain way and then you have to lift your other arm up to counteract the way you twist. So yeah, so it's all kind of the same like uh, rules, obviously gravity, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) um, for every jump. So, you know, um, yeah, like it's all very technical, but like, yeah, if you, you know, drop your hand, say you drop your arm at a certain point and then you drop the hand in front of, your body instead of the back of your body, you're going to twist faster than if you dr- drop your arm at the, you know, your butt instead, and you're yeah. going to twist a different way. Um, and then when you, you know, we call it an untilt where you lift your other arm up to, yeah, um, straighten yourself back up. Cause obviously the more you twist, the more off axis you're going to become just based on your body and like gravity or whatever. Um, so then you have to untilt it to then re land straight basically. But in aerials, it's all this, <clears throat> sorry, it's all the same. Um, I reckon you'd be able to do it. You'd be able to do it. If you wanted, you could, right. for sure. It'd just be kind of crazy. And there are people who have 
gone from one to the other. That was um, a good explanation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it was very good. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. hoping you haven't blown too many people's minds out there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very tricky, but yeah. you've, mm. you've got all your other types of freestyle skiing. And, well, I mean, skiing mm. in general, like yeah. alpine skiing, ski racing, all that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Why do you do mogul skiing? Uh, I used to do alpine back in the day, and like uh, one of my uh, this, per- I used to train with uh, another person who went to the Winter Olympics for alpine, Katie Parker. She was there, and I actually used to train with her back in the day, back when I was younger, uh, with a- another coach called Richard Haslow. He was from Mount Buller, um, and I know we used to train alpine together. And she went to the Olympics for alpine, but then I moved on to. Um, mogul skiing went in 2011 um, and I split off from that um, but I just did it because um, I did trampolining when I was younger I did diving for a short period of time did gymnastics and I just like always wanted to put that aer- like aerial component into um, like skiing like combine the two and I thought it was really cool and that's like how that happened and like, I knew people who kind of had got got into it at Mount Buller which is like where I originally used to ski before Perisher. Yeah. Um, and then there was like a program there and then I did that and um, that's how I got into it, basically. So when you are getting into it and you're first starting a new flip or starting a flip for the first time, yeah. how do you go about doing that? Because I just could not even imagine yeah. where to start. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like if you say you're learning a backflip, which is like basically a rite of passage now for any person like young muggle skier or any skier really who's like a freestyle skier mm. um basically what you do is you first of all have to be able to ski um <laughs> but that's a, yeah because i know in aerials um a lot of them can't ski and they what they do wow. is they recruit them from gymnastics and then they um they teach like, them how to ski. Yeah, and they teach them how to ski first and then oh. some people don't make it through because they can't actually get off the jump because they can't ski but Jeez. they may be able to do all the aerial stuff but they just can't get off the yeah jump. yeah so that's like a huge incredible yeah but yeah you have to be able to ski and then what you do is you um you learn the technique at water ramp and you do a lot like you do heaps of backflips like mm. you first of all yeah you learn the technical skill you know, putting your arms up off the jump and then the jump will flip you and you'll do a backflip if you lean back and your arms are up, basically. Mm. Um, and then you just get better and better at that. Um, and people are kind of like, oh, it's like a reverse dive. So you go off the jump and then you go out and you land forward, even though you're going backwards. It's kind of whatever, but confusing. Um, but you do that. And then after you've done enough, you go on snow and you do your first ones on snow. And that's always really scary because you've never done it on snow before. And obviously on water you can land however you want and on snow you can't and you'll hurt yourself. So you just do that one and then you just do them on snow and then eventually you put it into a mogul course and then you do it in competitions and that's it, yeah. Wow. So it's like that, yeah. So you still get scared? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I know when I, I was doing a different skill um, a few years ago uh, called the back full, which is the one that aerialists do and some like mogul skiers do too, but that's just where you do the backflip and then you do like a 360 twist in the air and land flat again. So it's like a twist um, in the air, um, like pretty standard uh, like skill. Um, but I used to get nervous every time I did that. Um, and I think cause it's so technical and also there's a lot of stuff you have to remember for it too, especially coming in, like when you're coming into the jump itself and leaving the jump, you have to make sure you're doing all the right things. Otherwise you can get really just mess yourself up a bit. So Mm. (laughs) have you had serious injuries Uh, in your time? No, not really. Luckily 
I, well, actually, yeah, sorry. What am I saying? Yes, I, I have a back injury at the moment. I did, I remember last year I did a few discs, like back discs, and then wow. I kind of, yeah, and that was like over a long period of time. And then, and then you went to the Olympics yeah, with that, that back injury. Yeah. Well, and it's, made the final. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, what's weird because it kind of like comes and go, like it would go away. And then I kind of like had this other thing going on just from like, I don't know, like I think when, when you lose a lot of muscle and you're not exercising, other things come out because you're weak. And then it was just like a thing you have to manage. So I kind of had that throughout the season. And that's why I didn't do the back full. I did a truck driver instead yeah. because it was a lot It's straight. You know, your body's going straight. You're not twisting and bending in any weird kind of way. It's not. It's predictable. It's, like, safe. Um, but also looks good and is really good. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, I had that. And then I'm still kind of struggling with it now. But um, a lot of people on my team have that injury. A lot of people have struggled with that. Actually, every probably every single person on my team's had that at some point and are, are still dealing with it today. Um, and a lot of people have hurt their knees, like done their ACL and MCL, and are like coming back from that. And I know a, a teammate of mine actually, um, Taylor O'Neill. She um, she's had a lot of injuries, and she's like she's had like, both her knees. She's done both her knees. Um, and she was at the Olympics um, and she um, had to do the competition and she'd hurt her knee and she just couldn't do it. Um, and it was really, really sad. Um, but also it was really inspirational for her. Um, and I think it just goes to show, you know, like you can work so hard and she's really talented and she, you know, qualified and everything, but it's just sometimes stuff happens. And, yeah. you know, I think people think that maybe we're, we don't have any injuries, but everyone ha has injuries and no one talks about it. Mm. Um, and it's just like a normal thing. And if you think you're, if your body's off, well, that's actually normal. Um, and like, yeah, like I, I'm 25 and my back is like 40 years old, probably <laughs> honestly, like, yeah, like, so, but anyway, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, mm, yeah. is, is the knees the biggest one, do you think? Probably knees and backs. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And right. then a lot of people get, yeah, back injury, impact back injuries. Yeah. The knee, yeah, the knees. Um, people break bones, but that's just from crashing. Mm. It's not... Yeah. yeah. So, the injuries are more from the actual skiing yeah. than rather than like the impact of the yeah. crashing. Yeah. Overuse yeah. injuries, a lot of overuse yeah. injuries. It's just from years of impact and landing because you land the jumps and you're just always jumping and landing and they're from mm. it's quite you go quite high um how high i think it's probably like a meter or two meters in the air and it's not that bad but then it's like over a period of time you're just doing that and then you're also skiing um on this this hard bumps and you're trying to get over them all the time and you're like yeah. bending yeah um and then obviously all the strength uh the um strength and conditioning work you do you want to be really strong but you can also overdo that too um yeah so yeah have you had bad crashes in your time um i actually haven't luckily i've never really had any really bad crashes i'm very lucky yeah 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 i know um my um teammate Britt cox she had a really bad crash in china mm. um a few years ago and she broke her collarbone she like did all her ribs like oh, broke a few ribs she i think she punctured a lung i want to say she was like real and she got had a concussion i think it's hard to say Jesus. there was quite a lot going on but she had a really bad crash yeah and that's come back from that yeah and she, she's yeah, made the final as well yeah yeah she's yeah. yeah doing fine now and um doesn't seem to have you know affected her thank god but um <laughs> yeah but that was a bad crash she had and i know people have had concussions and stuff yeah um but yeah, you can really hurt yourself if you crash badly. And um, Jakara Anthony made yeah. the final and won the gold medal. Yeah, yeah. Was she carrying injuries at that time? 
Yeah, um, it's hard to say because everyone has their own injuries and they kind of, there's just eventually there's too many to really, there's a lot of pro- like there's too many problems to focus on. It's kind of like there's just things that wear and tear the season. Um, it's hard to say. Like I know she had something going on a little while ago, maybe with her knees and then her shoulder, um, but I think that's okay now. But um, I think she might have just been... Um, probably just a bit worn out from the season, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we promised everyone we're going to talk about the Jakari Anthony gold medal, your yeah. experience of it. So you were yeah. there? Were you watching it? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was watching it at the bottom. How was that? Uh, it was, I mean, she was doing really well, um, the whole competition. Um, and I think she was just putting down this run after run, the same awesome run, and there was no um, big mistakes. Uh, and we're all like, yeah, like, this is just keep doing it, you know. So I think there was some security there. Uh, and then um, when she did that final run, uh, it was pretty tight. A lot of really – there were a lot of really good skiers um, who were skiing, and they were – some of the judging was a bit weird. Like, they were rewarding certain... Like, because obviously people judge it, so it's automatically biased. Yeah. Even if it's not meant to be biased, you know. Subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. So people, someone's like, oh, the bib, the bib's cool, you know, so I'm going to give them a higher score because they're a number one bib or, you know, or this person's jump was bad, but it's that person, so I'm going to give them a bit, you know, things like that. So, like, she will, like, oh, like, please don't... Like, she needs to, she deserves to win, but please don't give her a, a second, <laughs> even though it's still really cool. But, like, yeah. she was definitely on the winning streak, and she won. And we're like, oh, well, oh, my God. Like, and we're all just, like, crazy. And, like, you know, Britt was crying. Taylor was, like, crying, too. And, like, I don't know, it was crazy. And we're all, like, running over, and, like, it was unbelievable. Were you, you know? crying yourself? I, I don't know, kind of, but I think I was just, like, in shock. Like, I didn't believe it. Like, you know, and you just haven't processed it. Mm. Uh, and I was, I was like, shock on my couch. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like I don't know. I think it was. I think I was starting to process it when we were watching a, the medal, medal ceremony. Um, that was really that was really cool. I was like really moved, honestly. Um, yeah, mm. so it was unbelievable. Mm. With this judging, I hadn't thought about how subjective yeah. it was before. But if there's just a clearly um, like poor judgment, and someone just gets a completely dodgy score, is there a way to appeal that? Or- Anything like that? Yeah. Well, I know um, there people can complain. Coaches like sometimes go up to the judges and be like, "Why? Why was that? A th- you know, blah blah." And they normally have can justify it, and it's settled. Um, I don't think there's ever been a point where it's like been completely um, changed. Um, it, yeah, I'm not sure. Never. It's hard to say. I probably, but it's not. It's definitely kept subtle. Like it's a subtle thing that only the coaches really know and the specific athlete but you don't really hear about um other people's scores being changed so mm. probably it probably happens but i just don't know about it yeah um but i just know there are um specific events where people have judged certain things and normally that's um normally that doesn't matter but then in another competition people they'll be really focused on it and the other one you're like oh I didn't even worry I wasn't really worrying about that but then this one I have to do this specific thing and that will put me from like a 20th place to a 10th place like I know in in the Olympics like there was it was very um there was a very specific thing I was doing where you'd land the top you'd land the bottom air and I'd have to ski the first left mogul 
Otherwise, they would mark, they would take like 0.5 or every judge would take that amount of deduction off. And normally in some competitions, they don't care about the bottom section as much. And they would probably take your, you know, the deduction off somewhere else in the run. But these people here weren't really concerned about other things that maybe other competitions, you know, other people in the competitions would have done wrong or whatever. Um, So it's just a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fickle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. say the least. But um, yeah. talking about Jakara. Yeah. She's obviously Olympic champion, Brit Cox world champion. Yeah. Is getting to that kind of level for you, do you think it's achievable? Yeah, I definitely think – I'm not sure about the – I'm not sure about a world champion status. Um, personally, I think it's really hard to say because if you if – you, kind of have that goal it's obviously everyone wants to everyone wants to be the best and everyone has that goal but I think I can get really blown away um with having this one vision and not seeing the steps in between and I think like for me I try to focus on more short-term goals now nowadays um but I do think yeah with the right skills and the right amount of time and um effort I definitely could get get there get close um but it's you don't really know like the next day like something could happen and Mm. i could i may never do it again or you know or i could do it but it's really there's a lot of unknowns and it's a lot of it is also the luck and the field like i know the um everyone's every i'm really i'm really stoked like for women like women have the women's field has really improved over the last like period like few years people are doing all these um, you know, skills that are like men are doing, like um, backflips with twists and off-axis skills, like two in one run. And normally, women we weren't doing that. Um, you know, f- a few years back, like the last Olympics, um, people were doing three sixties, which is like an upright, you know, jump with a three sixty twist, and then a backflip. And now the winning run is yeah, like a, a mute um, D spin. Oh, gra- sorry, like D spin with a mute grab, which is what Jack does, and then like um, a mute grab, like which is just like not off axis, it's just a backflip mm. with where you put your skis, cross them and you grab your ski. Um, but that stuff would have, that's not, that's only new. Yeah. Um, and like people are doing, yeah, it's like really changed. And I know the run, it's really interesting. The run I did at this event would have probably won maybe f- two Olympics ago. Cause it's like people weren't grabbing mm. back then. People the were just wasn't so Yeah. Bad. It's progressing really fast. And like same, like obviously that run, um, it's really weird. Yeah, it's it, not weird. It makes sense, but it's kind of surreal if you think Incredible. about it. Yeah, because, like, yeah. you know, it's all about timing and how things are progressing. Yeah. yeah so. Astonishing. Yeah. But knowing you finished 16th in the Olympic final, how, how does that make you feel? Um, I feel it's kind of weird. It hasn't really sunk in. I feel really good about it. Um, I think it's weird because, to me, I was just trying to make it like another competition. Uh, and I think I, I know I did the best I could. Um, so I'm really happy with that. Uh, and I'm kind of still coming down from it. Like, yeah, like the Olympic hangover, I guess you could say. Like, I'm still kind of like, haven't, it hasn't sunk in uh, yet, but I think it, it will. And I know I've talked to a few people and they've said, yeah, you know, you, after a while you can kind of sinks in like the kind of like, not the stress, but like the, I need to like decompress still, I think. Yeah. And like, kind of like, kind of, yeah, just be at home, like do nothing or like do other things and like let it kind of take its like run its course yeah yeah well for some people it doesn't fully sink in until they're yeah. tired yeah and yeah 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 it could be ages away yeah but, um did the olympics overall meet your expectations in the whole 
the village life and everything about it? Yeah, um, it was really, really cool. Um, it definitely did, yeah. I yeah. think I went to this event in 20, um, 2017, uh, the Asian Winter Games. It's kind of like the Commonwealth Games, but for winter sport, it's not as like, publicised. Um, but I went there and I kind of experienced that there already. And I think that was maybe like my first time I'd ever like had that kind of village Olympic experience. But yeah. I know here it was very similar. So I was kind of like, oh, this is like... It's not like brand new, um, but it's still really cool. And um, yeah, it was really, it was really, really unreal. Um, but the whole time I was really focused um, on the events, I kind of like couldn't fully enjoy it. I think a lot of the time athletes, um, they do their event and then they are there for the whole time till the closing ceremony and they're able to then enjoy it more and like do all the th- activities and, you know, just be immersed in it whereas I was kind of like a bit like okay I'm not going to go outside I can't get COVID obviously um I don't want to be too tired I want to rest up and then we just like we left straight away so Mm. I think that maybe there definitely could have been more there but I also there's nothing that can be done now I suppose yeah um about it but very very quickly Mm. you mentioned the Asian Winter Games there I saw competing in dual dual moguls Mm. (laughs) so can you just briefly tell us what dual moguls is yeah um, dual moguls is in a lot of World Cups um, have those um, that event sorry it's uh, it's basically um, two people going down the course at once so normally in a course you have uh, I don't know uh, four lines three or uh, three or four lines Um, so that's like you stand at the top of the course and you can like go down you know these lines and you can choose um, which ones work for you um, when you're doing course inspection, which is before the official training and before the competition, yeah. you do the course inspection. You're like, oh, this mogul's really good. But um, uh, yeah, like this, I turn left, so I'm going to go in this line. But anyway, in dual moguls, either you choose or they choose for you, depends who's better. So then you're like going down, you're racing someone, you're basically doing basic skills, like you're not doing the highest level of difficulty you'd normally do in a singles event. Um, whoever gets first down first wins. Um, whoever um, wins goes on to the next round and you basically just do that for the whole competition until it's like you're at the end of the event and there's like two people left and you're like who's going to win yeah Yeah, and it's really gnarly because you're doing like like normally in a competition day you do probably uh, three top to bottom runs and these are like 30 seconds each I'd, I'd say they're like intervals you yeah. call them intervals um and and then like two like maybe three competition runs or and then i don't know maybe like you're doing seven or eight runs a day mm-hmm. in a competition day if you're doing the full day whereas in duels if you want to go the top like get to the very top you have to literally duel everybody like so many people so you're doing like you're probably doing like if you're winning you're probably skiing about uh, i don't know like 10 like 15 runs which is crazy for moguls yeah and it's like um amount the amount of mental concentration the amount of physical work um involved in that like you have to be on for the whole time and you yeah. have to be pushing it every single run um and like I, I don't know if it's really hard to explain how hard it is to do a run but you have to be really precise really fast and like really switched on so yeah so like just how many did you that. do in beijing uh um uh i did uh three training runs one competition run sorry two competition two competition runs but it was split out it was over like a a long period of time so yes i guess like quite intense yeah so yeah it was not quite as intense um so i probably in a day i'd probably do like four five uh, i guess six runs what was that it was like three training runs one qualification run two sorry and then we did a one run in the finals training and then finals run uh, I don't know, I guess that would have been like six or seven, probably give or take one in training. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't know, but yeah, yeah that, something like that's that. still quite a lot. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So Olympics overall, um, people were told to get like advice to get burner phones and stuff like that, <laughs> and obviously there's this looming threat of COVID the whole time because there's zero COVID approach to things. How was that being in the village with all that weirdness? Yeah. Um, it, it did make me a bit paranoid. Uh, I know with the with the burner phone stuff, we we all got VPNs um, just because um, you know to because even we use WhatsApp for like group chats um, mm. and just to like communicate like schedules and stuff yeah. to each other. So like we needed that for sure, uh, and then you know just to do usual things. Um, but that was like fine. Uh, we didn't. What we did is we used only the um, internet in the um, the place we were staying. Uh, sorry, we were in like this like like Australia headquarters house, which is yep. just for all of, all of the team. We only used the Wi-Fi in there. We didn't use any other Wi-Fi that was around, or we tried not to, um, just so we didn't log on to any other networks. Uh, and then I know like, yeah, that was like the main thing we really did. And then I'm, I've changed all my passwords. They recommended we do that when I get back. When I like when I got back, I did that. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's like not any kind of because of hackers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so. W- what were they telling you? Were they telling you like the hackers are going to get into your yeah, computers? Well, they just they didn't really. I mean, there was it was kind of just a a precaution, I think. Uh, but there was there was yeah hackers, um, but uh, they didn't say specifically what it would be. But they did warn us about like people trying to. Um, if you do, there's there's a lot of um, danger around if you do something wrong, and you know what do you do if they kind of take you aside and uh, have you somewhere, you know, don't don't sign anything, don't say anything, you know, things like that, and um, just like stuff like don't leave the village, you know, and, things, and don't yeah. go here, like don't leave, and because you'll get in trouble, and you can't anyway because you have it's security everywhere, but yeah. if you happen to something else. it's just a no lot wonder of you're like paranoid that. with yeah. oh, craziness but um tonight yep. your sister gabby is yeah. in the aerial scheme she was meant to be last night it's been postponed yeah, yeah. people are going to know the result yeah probably when this is out but when you're watching her how do you how do you feel uh i am um, last night i was feeling well yesterday i was feeling really nervous actually like more nervous than probably when i was about to go because mm. i think like normally when you go you're like okay like i start skiing and I'm like okay I think with her it's like you just have to sit there and you just have to wait and watch there's no control over the situation whatsoever and it only got postponed like (laughs) half an hour before it started or something yeah 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 yeah, and we're like uh, we're all watching a whole extra day of nerves yeah yeah yeah. I know today I feel a bit better Um, I'm like okay like it's alright and I think she is like feeling okay so I'm kind of like it's alright and like I think it's at that point where you're like oh just like enjoy it and enjoy the experience and you know whatever happens happens really I mean either way I'll be proud of her and I think I'm just more I hope she's not too disappointed if something goes wrong but I don't think it you know I think there's always stay on the positive side and I think she's doing really well so I think so you've spoken to her since it got postponed I um I spoke to her last night about it and I was just like oh good you know good luck and you know, good job. And she's like, what do you mean? I didn't do it yet. And I was like, no, I mean, <laughs> I was like, good job for just staying in it. Staying. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, but I think she's like focused. Um, so she, I don't think she's really good. Talking, yeah. I don't think she's really talking to anyone necessarily like that much just to stay yeah. in the zone kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. Did you get to go to the opening ceremony together? Or no, was it just we, you? we didn't. I, um, I didn't, well, I did that. We did this thing where we just walked around the village, but oh. normally moguls never goes because our event is the next day. Oh, right. Um, or the yeah. men's events the next day. I think we have training, um, or something. It just doesn't work. Um, so 
disappointed yeah. by that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's just normal. No one ever does. So. Yeah. Mm. That sucks. Um, but Olympics all done now. Yep. What, what are you doing rest of the year? You're back into uni? Yeah, I'm studying a master's of teaching. I want to be an art teacher and uh, secondary school. Um, I think it's cool. Um, and I also probably will continue on with some uh, film-related stuff. Um, I have a festival. Yeah, I have a festival coming up, which is cool. I'm being shown in. So Lido Short Stack Film Festival. So that will have my film in there um, in April. Uh, and then I'm, yeah, just like freelance stuff. Like probably I know um, I'm, at, I'm in the University of Melbourne and um, they have a sports program. And I know that um, they have given a lot to me Um over a long period of time um and so i want to like give back to them i think this year a bit as well and do some more work for them i think uh yeah. and yeah just like represent the uni more in general yeah so awesome represent them in terms of like doing ambassador kind of yeah yeah roles. and just yeah. like you can volunteer and you can like be involved in communities and things yeah. like that because people would really look up to you in yeah. the uni like you've just gone to the olympics it's yeah. awesome yeah and i know there's a lot of people at the university who are like young and like haven't really who are just entering into the sports program and don't really you know know much about it or they're just like yeah they're kind of it's just good to have chats with people really and yeah, yeah, ideas. Awesome. I've got one question that we asked to everyone before we do yeah, our kind of sure. last segment bit, but this is the last question, Sophie. Do you have a life philosophy, like a quote or anything like that that you kind of let guide your decisions in life? I mean, it's a bit morbid, but <laughs> not morbid, <laughs> but I think I get a lot of um, closure in uh, it's, it, it's, there's a quote by, that um, an author, um, Albert Camus, he does a lot of existential writing. Yeah, like, philosophy. Yeah, yeah. philosophy. Yeah. Um, and I know he has a quote that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it, the, it goes something, it goes along the lines of, you know, we all die anyway. But I think it's like that thing of, you know, oh, nothing matters, we're all going to die anyway, oh, so who cares? But I think for me it's more like, you know, it's not, it's not actually about, making wasting things and being like whatever i don't care about anything it's more like you know yeah you only you do die so obviously it's like yolo you know the yolo yeah, thing yeah. which is like a sort of kind of cringe but it's like the whole oh, comes back sense, to yeah. the um you know that should give you um you should feel liberated in knowing that nothing everything is absurd and nothing um everything me you know make meaning of what you will in your life and don't feel like you have to you know follow live by anyone's rules follow anyone necessarily if you don't want to or don't do it against your will do everything because you want to do it and you know that it in the end it won't matter and so you should care and you know live freely live openly live the way you want to live you know um do what you want to do if you can um and yeah that kind of thing mm. awesome absolutely love that I said that was the last question. We've got the final segment that I was talking about before. But okay. first, I think we should probably stretch our legs a bit because we've been going for over 100 <laughs> minutes. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a little snippet of the pocket profile we did together yep. for, for everyone listening. And um, we'll take a little break. We'll stretch our legs and we'll be back in a sec. Yeah, sure. Bit off there, so I've got I've got a hat here. It's a, it's a weird way to begin hat. Actually, it's a custom hat. It's very nice. Um, and I'm going to pull questions out of the hat. Quick fire questions. Go for about 15 minutes and see how it goes. You ready to go? Yep, I'm ready to go. Okay. First question out of the hat. Let's see if it's a curly one. It says this. This is 
particularly Winter Olympics related. This one, have you had a particularly scary snow or ice moment? Uh, I mean, there's a lot. I think I'm just like trying to black them out, honestly, in my mind and <laughs> forget them. But I did have one last year. Uh, it was when I was in Sweden for a, a competition. And I just remember the course was an interesting course. It was really flat. And my coaches were like, all right, you need to go really fast. You need to get lots of speed off the, there's obviously there's two jumps in a course where I ski. Uh, and so I just went really fast, did a backflip to my head um, and was concussed. And that was really scary because I couldn't see where I was in the air or anything. I was really messed up. Jesus Christ. Did you <laughs> yeah. go to hospital for that one? No, I didn't, thank God. But right, okay. <laughs> maybe it could have happened, maybe. Have you had many hospital trips? in your time? Yeah, I um, broke my collarbone like ages ago and I had to go to the, yeah, go to the hospital for and that. And that was from another flip. Yeah, it was just from another flip. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll move on for that. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, very scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next one. Out of the so, uh, of course, that was a snippet from the Pocket Profile we did together. So if you can get that whole episode via patreon.com forward slash where do we begin and heaps of other pocket profiles as well. We're constantly putting them up for old guests, new guests, everyone. Um, it's just three bucks a month. So absolute bargain. If you ask me, patreon.com forward slash where do we begin for that full episode with you, Sophie. But I promised you the final segment of the show is very, very exciting. It's called the where do we begin quiz. And Sophie, I'm going to hit the music. So, where do we begin quiz? It's a very, very competitive quiz scene we've got here. Usually, pit Lockie against the guest. Obviously, he's not here. hasn't been here for most of the Winter Olympic episodes. So, what we've done, we've done this quiz with all the Winter Olympian guests. We've got a leaderboard going on. So, Winter Olympics related questions, some mogul skiing questions, six of them. And the leaderboard at the moment, we've got Phil Bellingham and Seve DeCampo. They were in a team. They got three points. So, they're top of the leaderboard. If you can get more than three out of six, you're outright top. You ready to go, Sophie? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's see, let's see how we go. And we've got some special quiz music as well, some hot seat type things. So, question one is this. The Winter Olympics have been cancelled twice in the history of the Games. In which years were these cancelled Games meant to have taken place? Well, I feel like one of them is probably during the World War, I'm guessing, or something along those lines. So... My history. <laughs> we were talking about how you listened to history podcasts I know. Like a minute ago. I should know. In our little break. Oh, 19... I mean, I'm going to say World War One and World War Two. That's just my crazy guess. What year are we going? Uh, well, yes. what was World War... Oh, God. God, I can't even remember when the World Wars happened. Let's the music just say really puts the pressure on. Well, it does, it? doesn't it? Intimidating. <laughs> really hard. I mean, I'm going to be completely off. All right, let's just say, like, I don't know... Uh, like 1916 uh, and, I don't know, 19, I don't know, 30. It's random. I'm very random. Okay, let's, let's see. So, <laughs> you, you were right. World Wars yep. caused them to stop, but not 1916 because they hadn't even started. Yeah. The first one hadn't <laughs> yeah. happened, so that's incorrect. <laughs> uh, first one was meant to be in Sapporo in Japan, yeah. 1940. Oh. Second one. <laughs> 1944 in Cortina de Ampezzo, which oh, uh, yeah. pronunciation of that, I reckon, but in Italy. So both because of World War Two. Damn. There you go. Well, there we go. Look, we haven't <laughs> got so off to sorry. the greatest start, but <laughs> if you get, still, we've got five left. If you get four of these, 
Yeah, right, top. Do you reckon you can redeem yourself on number two, Sophie? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I'm not betting on it, but we'll see. (laughs) See how it goes. This is a mogul skiing one. So I'm going to hit the music again. The Canadian sisters, Justine, Chloe and Maxime Dufour-Lapointe, they're all mogul skiers. And they were all competitors in one Olympics. Which Olympics did they all go to together? I know Maxine retired fairly well she was the most recent she was the only one that's retired so i'm gonna say i know chloe won uh, justine won in i mean i'm gonna i actually should know this but i'm gonna say vancouver but i think it's vancouver i'm gonna say it's vancouver okay this is a high stakes one yeah I, i'm not sure i'm right though but i if you get this wrong you're gonna need to get everyone right it's gonna be really embarrassing you're locking in vancouver <laughs> Yeah, let's look in Vancouver. Okay, Vancouver. Let's see how we go. We'll hit a drum roll. So at this Olympics, Maxime finished 12th, Chloe finished 2nd, and Justine finished 1st. Yep. Sochi. Oh. 14, so you're incorrect. Damn it. Sochi. Sochi. But still in with a shot here. Even if you get three, you're uh, equal top with Sevi and four. Yep. So let's okay, see how we good. go. On question number three. Here we go. Which woman won Australia's first ever medal in a non-team event at the Winter Olympic Games? Uh, um, I'm going to say it's Ariel's, and I'm going to say that it... Uh, I think... It, oh, I'll tell you, 1994 in Lillehammer... That was the first Australian medal, but it was a team. It was Stephen Bradbury, Kieran oh. Hansen, Andrew Murtha, and Richard Nizilski. Yeah. won in the 5,000 metre uh, speed skating relay. Yeah, yeah. But then after that. Yeah, yeah. It was the first individual. Yes, yeah. Because I know it? he won. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, let's just say. Um, I should know this. Chad. It wasn't. It was an, I think it was an aerialist, but I can't remember who it was. I'm so sorry, people. Do you want to have a shot at a name? Make I mean, up a name. <laughs> I feel like, I just think of Jackie Cooper slash Alyssa Camplin, but there, I don't know, I'm surely there was someone before them, and I'm just, my mind is lost somewhere, but I'm going to say one of those, just to be bad. Let's just say Jackie Cooper. Okay, this is, this is high stakes. Yeah. In Nagano, 1998, it was skiing. Alpine skiing. Oh. Women's slalom. Zali Stegel. Oh, Zali. Zali oh, Zali's the run. Oh, my gosh. Zali is the one. Oh. Uh, I didn't actually write down what medal she won. I think it was a bronze. Uh, yeah. Uh, in Nagano. Yeah. She has a run named after her. And everyone, yeah. I know her. Oh, I really, I didn't even know what, like. She's into politics now. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Well. There you go. Oh, no. <laughs> we're, we're 0 from 3 I at suck. the moment. <laughs> I should know more. Than We've got three questions left. If yeah. you get all of them. Equal top. If you get none Good. of them, you're outright bottom. Uh, if, if you get one, <laughs> you're lose. equal bottom with Louis, <laughs> Yule and Schulter. So let's see if you can get two at least. Yeah. We're hoping for two. Yeah. And I'll hit the music for question four. Yeah. Which was the last Winter Olympics, Sophie, where Australia won no freestyle skiing medals? Uh, I mean, I want to say... I know Matt won the silver last one at, in Moguls before this, but I know Ariel's didn't do great. 
Oh no, some of them didn't. I know, I just remember it was the lowest scoring super final ever in the last one. Um, I'm gonna say. Sochi, I know. Um, maybe it was. Uh, I don't know, hey. I mean, maybe, probably. Uh, let's say. Uh, uh, the one before Vancouver. Which I cannot remember which one that one is. 2006. 2006. That was. Um, you know what? If that you just one. say two, yeah, 2006, let's just say. Was in I'll tell yep, you that. Yep, yep. I'll stop the music and let's see if you're right. <laughs> so, of course, 2022, we won a medal. Yeah. 2018, we won a medal. 2014, we won a medal. 2010, we won a medal. Oh, yeah. 06, drum roll. <laughs> drum roll. We won two medals. Oh, in yeah. 2006 in freestyle skiing. Dale B. Dale, oh, and Alyssa Camplin both won medals. Oh, and then no. Alyssa Camplin in 2002 yeah. won a gold. Yep, yep. So yep. last time we won no medals in freestyle skiing, 1998. Oh, wow. Nagano. Well, there good, go. because I don't, I don't want to know when we didn't win him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You're good. just an optimist, aren't you? Yep, yep. <laughs> Look, you'll need to be op- optimist to get anything yep. good out of this quiz because we're 0 from 4 at the yep. moment. Yep. Okay. <laughs> if we get these last two right, you've staved off the um, uh, the horrors of finishing yeah. bottom. Oh, hor- yeah. We'll we move to question five. Let's see. Let's see how you go on this one. The, and these last two questions are both related to Beijing, twenty twenty two. Okay, I should know these. Modern day. Let's let's see if we can get this. Let's yeah. see how we go. Here we go. Yeah. Question five. Which country, Sophie, sent the most athletes to Beijing, twenty twenty two? I'm gonna say. China, well, China had a huge um, turnout in their team on the opening ceremony. So I'm going to say China, just because that looked like they had a lot of people. I'm going to say China. But I feel like Australia's up, up there, but China, let's just say China. You know what, well, I might get the little leaderboard to see, well, not leaderboard, to see where Australia was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go. Okay, Sophie. You said China. Well, Australia, they they were equal 22nd most represented. Sent 40, 44. I thought it was 43, but mm. it says 44 here. Sent 44 athletes according to this. China, they sent 173 athletes. Yep. So another drum ball. You can never have enough drum balls. Let's no. see how we go. <laughs> China sent 173. The United States oh, of America, two hundred and twenty-four <laughs> athletes. I should have known. I Canada have known. and the ROC both yeah. sent two hundred plus as mm. well. So China, yeah. fourth most athletes, despite it being home games. Yeah, we're none from five. We haven't got on the board yet. Do you reckon yep. we can do it with this last one? Uh, I hope so. Honestly, it's twenty twenty-two related, and it's mogul skiing. Oh, I should. Yeah, I'll know this for sure. Okay, let's yep. hope it's let's not go. too hard. I might give you a little bit of a prod towards the right direction if you're not looking good on this one. But let's see how we go on question six. Yep. So there were eight countries represented in the women's moguls final yep. uh, at Beijing twenty twenty-two Olympics. If you name six of them, I'll give you the point. Okay, um, Japan, uh, Russia. America, Canada, Australia. Was this the final? Did you say the final? Um, Just the final. Great Britain. So you've gone. Can you do that for me again. Uh, um, Russia. Russia, America, America, Canada, 
No. Well, no, yeah, Canada, Australia, Japan, Great Britain. Ah, let's see how you work. If you get this, Surely. Sophie, you're not outright bottom, you're equal bottom, <laughs> which is a great achievement. <laughs> Still <in> good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Louis Mullen Schulte is a smart guy. He only got one. So <laughs> this it's, quiz really takes it out, people. It's very, yep. very tricky. Sounds like so, it. So let's go through them. You said <laughs> Australia, obviously. Yep. That's correct. Yep. Ooh. You also said Canada. Yep. Also correct. Said France. Did you say France? No. France was oh, one. how could I France forget? France was one, but, but yeah. you, you got two that you don't need name. Yep. So France was also in there. Great Britain, yep. also in there. Yep. Japan, also yep. in there. Yep. Kazakhstan, you didn't say oh. that. They were in there too. Yep. So there's two more. You said they were Russia and yep. the United States of America. Yep. ROC. Yep. Represented. United States of America. Represented. Yep. Got the Woo! point. <laughs> Six out of eight. Very I well should, done. And I mean, <laughs> you know what? We'll play the little victory music for. Uh, it's nice celebration getting that at the end. One yeah. point. How do you feel about that? Oh, I feel great. I mean, I was there. I should know. So, yeah. I mean, I should definitely know that one. And I knew it. Just thank God. There were some tricky <laughs> questions in that quiz, I must say. And oh, yeah. so you're equal, what are you? Equal third. No, equal fourth with Louis Mjolnir Schulte, but also <laughs> equal bottom. So okay, hopefully, good. maybe Gabby will come on and get none. Yeah. And there'll be a little bit of sibling rivalry. there. Maybe you've outdone her. Let's see how we go. But that about wraps us up. One more thing I should say, though, is that um, we do have the Where Do We Begin hats, of course, mm. and we're going to give the people who listen to this episode a 20% off with a little discount code word. So do you reckon we should just go Sophie Ash for yeah. the discount code? Yeah, so, yeah, let's go good. my name. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Sophie Ash. So go to the website, wheredowebegin.com.au. You can find the hats there, wheredowebegin.com.au. Go, uh, go to the hat section. And then plug in Sophie Ash to the discount code spot and you get 20% off. Easy as that. Those nice corduroy hats. They're very yep. good. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I saw it before yeah. from the cards from there. Nice yeah, I've hat. got a load of spare ones out there nice if you'd hat. like one, Sophie, oh, after yeah. we finish this. But, <laughs> yeah. um, Give me a hat. <laughs> we'll do that off air, but uh, on air, that just about wraps us up. So thank you very, very much for coming on, Sophie. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a good chat. Thanks. Cool. See you next time, guys. <laughs>